Hello, hello. Welcome to Find the Outside, the podcast. We have kicked Tim Mary to the curb, and today you have me, Tuesday Reinhardt, and Dr. Gabriel Donnelly, and we are so excited to be yes, launching... We are. Right? It's it's good without him, isn't it? No, I'm just teasing. Sorry, Tim. Anyway, we are launching today our Learning and Evaluation Spotlight Series, and we are so excited to have Dr. Dominica McBride join us for our initial conversation around evaluation. Those of you who've been listening to the podcast for some time have heard us talk about evaluation kind of ad nauseum and how important it is to our work. And so we wanted to have a series where we talk to different evaluators about their work and let, let you hear more, let us understand more, and, and basically be in conversation with people we admire and think a lot about their work and want to share it with the world. So we are here with Dr. Dominica McBride today. She is a leading thinker on how we evolve beyond the current racial equity paradigm. Thank goodness. She is a champion of culturally responsive evaluation. We're going to hear more about that. And she is a grassroots advocacy strategist. So she is a person who, in our multiple conversations, pushes the outside to think about how is the community involved in what we're doing. She also obviously is the founder of Become, which she launched in 2013. We're going to talk more about that too, but this is a person who has it going on. And so thank you for coming, Dr. McBride. Yeah, really excited to learn with you and explore with you today. It feels great. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on. It is just an honor to be talking with you both. I admire both of your work so much um, and the conversations that we've had and your history as an organization as well as your trajectory. It's amazing. Well, that is a great segue into the first question I'd love, we'd love to ask you, and it really has two parts, which is how did you come to this work and then also what keeps you in this work? You know, it's, it's, it's both. What, what, yeah, what, what, why did you come and what keeps you? Yes, yes. So why did I come is a long story. So I don't know if you want the long version or the short version. Um, we'll go with the long version for now. Great, great. <laughs> so I grew up in this small rural town in Michigan. And this town was about 45 minutes from the home of the Grand Dragon of the KKK. I'm just telling Whoa, you that yeah. because yeah. this is like the racial tensions that were in my town, right? And right. I was one of a handful of people of color in the town. So wow. I experienced like the brunt of, of racism in the town. And um, mm. I think one of the most notable experiences was um, when I was 13, I was taking this route Um, which I took almost every day from school. Like I'd walk from school home. And on this particular day, I was walking home and I was passing this house that I had passed many times where this boy lived that I thought was a friend, right? Like we had been friendly. We always said, hi, how you doing? Um, So I thought we had a good relationship, right? We weren't super close, but we weren't, you know, we weren't strangers either. So it was, it, it felt nice. So I was I was passing his house and this particular day there was a group of boys that were there like some older boys like 19 some that were probably around you know my age and um one person then calls out nigger and oh. then they all start calling out nigger oh. right except for the boy that was supposed to be like my friend he just stood there silent doing nothing, you know? And I was like, like, okay, should I like cuss them out? Should like, should, right. should I yell? Like, should I retaliate? But if I do retaliate, what are they going to do to me? Right. Are they going to come after me? Mm-hmm. So I just like, right. you know, tried to stay quiet and I just walked home the rest of the way and got home and just like cried and cried. Mm. And, mm-hmm. um, I say that moment because like that, that kind of represented some of the, the experiences that I had around color in the town and race and, Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the trauma that I had experienced around that. Um, And I, I I just wanted to be part of the healing, right? Like the Mm -hmm. healing that needs to take place, Uh you know, for, for communities of color, you know, Mm -hmm. between like communities of color and, uh, you know, other, other, you know, non-melanated <laughs> communities mm-hmm. uh, so that people like can heal internally, that we can heal our relationships, that we can heal our communities. Um, so just a passion around that eventually mm-hmm. led 
to to starting to become. Um, but even b- before then, you know, I wanted to like, how, how can we like heal the heal oppression, right? Like, how, mm-hmm. how can we address oppression? How can we solve solve this? What works to solve this? And um, fast forward to uh, being about a junior in college. I had a mentor who was a community psychologist who um, I was telling her about uh, about this. Like, I really care about, like, fixing these issues, mm. you know, like these issues, the results of racism, like, you know, how it shows up, you know, what works, you know, what doesn't, like, how, how do we navigate mm. this? And she said, oh, it sounds like you care about evaluation, <laughs> right? You Like, you care about what ah. works, you know, making what works. I was like, what? There's a whole field of people that care about these things, wow. you know? And so that introduced me to the field of evaluation, so then everything kind of guided around uh, around that. I went to school and I had the the honor of working under Stafford Hood, who um, recently passed away. Um, but he was a forerunner of culturally responsive evaluation. And so I worked under him, um, kind of like helping to define culturally responsive evaluation and learning from the gurus um, who are mm. part of the foundation of culturally responsive evaluation and you know, the principles of cultural response evaluation, of healing, of communities being at the center of their healing, of their transformation, um, is a foundation of become. That that's mm. that's our that's our that's our motivation, that's our force, that's that's our vision. Um, and uh, so that's what brought me to the field uh, yeah. of evaluation and what keeps me in the field of evaluation is seeing that like data works, you know, like when, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the collecting data and like presenting that back to, to people and having these really intentional conversations around it with, with the people who are doing the work, with the people who are affected by, by the work um, can actually like move to making critical changes in what we're doing that have better results. Right. And so being able to see, organizations and community groups change and grow and and do even deeper work and be more connected and be more motivated and you know find find new and different and better ways to to make impact is is what keeps me in the field well i feel like there's just a part of me that wants to honor that little 13 year old yes. girl who experienced that you know i can just like my heart. Wow. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for deciding to to heal something <laughs> as a result of that, because that's not necessarily how you had to go. Um, and I, I want to talk about that, Dominic, in terms of the healing, like you've used that word. And I feel like after hearing this situation, I'm sure there are many more. I grew up in rural, the rural Midwest, right? So I'm sure that there, there are more things you can point to. And I'm really curious how you explain your orientation toward healing, right? You use the word healing and transformation, which is quite different from, and maybe you use these words too, but it's quite different from like this, like eradication or the struggle or the revolution or all of the different words that we might hear that aren't healing and transformation. And so I'm curious, what is it about you that that's like, even, I mean, like, I want to ask, like, you said data works. I'm like, tell me about data and healing. Like, I really would love to hear, like, how did that become your orientation? Because there are lots of orientations to working with race and racism and the, and the harm and the trauma of it. So how did healing become yours? Yeah. Yeah. So from from not only from from the the pain that I experienced um, growing up there, but uh, also like since I was a kid, I just have this love for people. Like mm. I just lo- I don't know why, you know, it's just in me. I just like love people. I mm. love humanity. Um, so I think the mix of like the pain and like love for people like guided me to want to um use like relationship as a mode for healing so um i'm a psychologist by training Mm. and uh so i decided to go to that that psychology route to be a part of that healing and transformation but to me like if we don't heal 
we're going to replicate the same things over and over again, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. if, if we don't heal, like that, that pain is going to be driving us in ways that a lot of times we don't recognize or, or we don't know. And we inadvertently do the same thing just in different ways. And so we perpetuate what the status quo is, even though we might be trying to change right. the, the status quo. And so I see healing as necessary mm. um, in actually evolving, you know, as as a community, as a society, as people. And um, I define healing as reconnecting with our higher self. Right. Because a lot of times like pain can can kind of like disrupt or cloud our connection to like our our beauty and our brilliance and our power. Um, and uh, and so when we can like actually get get at that and release, release that pain, like we have a clear access, more direct access to to our innate beauty mm. um, and to like letting that manifest naturally. Yeah. I feel like I want to clap my hands. Yes. <laughs> so good. So good. Yes. Yes. 100 times. Yes. Absolutely. And this whole idea of evaluation as a pathway for healing oppression. What a profound gateway mm-hmm. to invite people into. And then you, there's something else you said. You said evaluation or culturally responsive evaluation is about caring about what works. And mm-hmm. I, I was just struck by your use of that word care and it's like oh yes evaluation as a practice of care and um, not just of learning what works or building on what works or getting strategic about works what works but saying like oh care is actually a fundamental principle and part of this practice and I think that just comes so strongly through you and your work and the way that become uh, is expressed in the world and so I'm just really curious at uh, from that when you think about culturally responsive evaluation, what would be the simplest definition or the simplest description of what that would be for someone who isn't uh, familiar with it as a evaluation practice? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's evaluation for or by the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think with, with culturally responsive evaluation, it is um, in part a response to the exclusion in the history of the field of evaluation of community members, of people who are impacted by programs, mm-hmm. um, of culture. And so for a long time in the field of evaluation, culture was seen as noise. And they would say, mm. oh, a program should work regardless of what culture it's in, regardless of the context, it should just work. And that's a very Western way of seeing, you know, what what works because context matters. Context matters. Culture matters. It shapes us in profound ways. Uh, it, it, it shapes the way our genes express, you mm-hmm. know, it shapes the way our personalities come to fruition. It shapes so much of who we are, what we do, why we do things, and in the uh, in the Western context, a lot of times that like con- context is removed, and so culturally responsive evaluation um, is really like good evaluation, <laughs> you know, in 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 essence because it's saying like context matters, culture matters. Let's let's look at these things and let's look at their impact on the people who are affected by the program and you know, what shapes the program and let's respond to that. And um, so culture science of evaluation is is bringing in culture, it's bringing in the sociopolitical context, and it's bringing in community members into the process. Because a lot of times if we're coming from outside of a community um, into evaluate that community, we, we don't know, we didn't live there, you know, we didn't mm-hmm. grow up there. So, so we don't know the ins and outs and the, the dialects and the, you know, the different ways that people communicate or talk or understand things. And so doing with people that are in that context and, and affected by that program, like they, they are the ones who know those things, who know those ins and outs. So we need to be hearing, you know, from them, what should we be doing in this evaluation? You're right. Like we yeah. can bring some of the tools of evaluation. We can bring evaluative thinking and, you know, we can bring these pieces, but, but they bring that lived experience that then 
those two together create that bigger picture of what's actually happening. You know, what's actually what's actually working, what's actually moving and what can, you know, be amplified and what what can work better. And, you know, the this concept of care um, throughout it is huge because the process of culturally responsive evaluation um, is about care. It's about healing those um, the, the like the pernicious impact of power dynamics um, that were before, right? Like communities being excluded from decisions that affect them. And so culturally responsive evaluation is saying, no, the communities need to be at the table. You know, they, they need to be influencing. Their voice needs to, to be heard and infused and, and be guiding us in the process. So it's this process of like healing, like what has been done historically, what's being done now through this like little fractal of an evaluation uh, process. How do you navigate into working with a new community do you find that they're very quickly trusting of culturally responsive evaluation or your team because of who you are? Or do you find that you are actually having to um, address and work through and build trust into a context that really holds that kind of trauma around being silenced around, around their community and future and um, how does that go? So it's a mix. Like relationships are the the biggest priority for us, you know, to, to develop relationships with our partners, to develop relationships with community members. And so uh, when we go into a new community, we're often like first borrowing trust from a trusted entity in mm-hmm. the community. So so we work with other organizations that um, already have trust uh, with the people that they're serving. And through there, we invite people into the conversation with us to then ha- ha- start that direct relationship with us through already having a relationship with the organization or the group of people um, that we're in partnership with. And then we're able to um, develop out that relationship directly. And so usually we start off our projects with a visioning session. And that visioning session is like, hey, let's get community members, let's get organizational leaders and, and team members and you know other interested people. Let's get us all in a room together, whether it's a virtual room or an in-person room. Let's get us all in a in a room together so we can be connected with each other and let's dream. Let's dream mm. about what's possible through this program. Let's dream about <clears throat> what we want for our communities, what we want for ourselves. And um, in that dreaming process, um, people uh, people begin to 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 build not only like more connection with each other, but also like more trust and connection with us. And so that kind yeah. of kicks off a more direct relationship with the people who are involved, and then we grow from there. That's amazing. And I want to I want to ask a question about become because I, the question that occurs to me is who who. Who's hot? It's not, it sounds crazy, but like who wants culturally responsive evaluation? Like who's hiring you? Who's, who's like funding yes. it? Who's funding it, right? Who's like, who, paying the money? Right? Like, cause I, it sounds amazing. So there's part of me that's like, okay, who is on, who is excited about this idea? And I, I'd love to, and you don't have to tell like specific folks, but like kinds of people who are funding. Um, and then, and then I, I'd love to hear you talk about become and what you're trying to do in the world. And I don't, I feel like there has to be some link between who's funding this and what become is trying to do in the world. And so I, I guess it's two questions, um, but I would love to hear like your, your deep, um, hope founding an organization and continuing to lead it is is a lot of work especially with young kids and so like what what is it you're trying to do in the world um but yeah those two those are two questions yes yes big ones (laughs) and i know you 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 can relate Uh, yeah so uh for for the first one as far as who's funding it starts with a mindset like there there are people who have Mm. a mindset like actually we we do want to hear from our community members like we do want to have a better relationship with the people that we're serving um so so therefore they're willing to partner with us right Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we we come into the relationship already saying like hey we're going to involve the community you know in in the process of this evaluation so they already have to have some sort of like okay you know we're we're willing to explore that possibility you know mm-hmm. with you 
Um, and so, so that mindset and that, that value is, is big part of it. Um, and then, um, also a lot of times, um, now people are more interested, um, in, Cult, like culturally responsive evaluation, like they're hearing it more. Okay. They're hearing about equitable evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so especially given like the pandemic and the uprising and now more people, or at least for a while, yeah. <laughs> some of them yes. backtracking, you know, now, mm-hmm. but for a while, a little blip of time, there are people that wanted to do more, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion work, like internally or externally, they want to deepen deepen their relationships in in that way so so there there was some part of that right like oh we want to deepen this way so culture responsive evaluation is a is a possibility with that but even before that it was people that had that mindset so like um one of our partners is chicago foundation for women another partner public allies you know these organizations um, already wanted to to deepen their work in communities of color. Mm. They wanted to, to deepen their work um, around like what does it mean to be equitable? What does it mean to be um, responsive? Some of them already had that social justice mindset, mm-hmm. and they wanted to have an evaluation partner that fit that mindset. Right? Got that was it. also about social justice, so there wasn't that disconnect um, in in the process or through the process of evaluation. Um, so yeah, it's already people that are kind of like in that mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, to some degree, or at least wanting to go, um, on that journey, or they might be doing that kind of work. They might be doing justice work, um, and need that alignment. Yeah. So that's, that's who's, um, uh, partnering with us. And then Mm -hmm. as far as funding the work, like we have some, some great like funding partners, like Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Kredsky, Chicago Community Trust, um, who um, have like stepped up in big ways in like saying, how can uh, we support community grounded, community driven work? Um, And that has to do with, with, uh, what we want to do as a, as an organization, what our mission and vision is, and and really it's uh, it's about like creating a new and just society through helping communities to transform, right? Mm-hmm. Helping helping communities to lead the transformation, to to innovate, to create, to lead, to sustain, to evaluate like the change that they want to see in their communities, um, and uh, and lift that up. And so we are partnering with them to like build that capacity, both residents and organizations, to build the capacity to to manifest that change that they want to see. Um, so that they thrive, so that they can reach their their potential as um, not only people, but a, as as that collective. Um, and so, just want to see that um, that community driven transformation and, mm-hmm. and actualization, and eventually mm-hmm. like liberation, right? That that they can yeah. create their own structures, the 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 cultures, the systems that they want, that they need, they can sustain it. Yeah. I was a part. I was on a board. Uh, for a long time, uh, that the the tagline was, "Whatever the problem, community is the answer." And um, I'm curious. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was on the Burkana board with Tim uh, for a couple of years, and so I'm curious where. I guess what is it? I kind of want to ask you like an edge question. Like one of the things is I believe that, and I hear through what you're saying. I I can imagine. That that makes sense to you, that whatever the problem community is, the answer. And I'm wondering about the edges of that. Like, what do communities need to be able to be the answer, right? Um, Because I think sometimes I feel like, well, sometimes it's a little simplistic to just be like, we already know. Like, we're facing such, like, such extraction, such oppression, such, like, you know, like, such survival, right, in what, in many of our communities, what does become do? What do you think are the conditions that create, that can be created so that communities can actually give the answers or even find the answers Hmm. um, when we're busy surviving? Yeah, yeah, that's huge. That's huge. So uh, I mentioned before, I'm a psychologist by training, and I, I used to do therapy, provide therapy for people from um, kids to, to elders, couples, families. Um, and, uh, I've had the honor of like being a part of some amazing transformations and in, in, in people's lives and the way they approach things, just thinking about 
you know, this particular couple that came in, you know, on the verge of divorce. Um, and then our last session, they wrote me a card saying, thank you for helping us fall in love again. Aww. You know, this uh, boy who came in, he was 16 year old, he was suicidal and then left saying like, I love myself, you Aww. know, like, so just being able to see these transformations. And the thing was, I wasn't doing anything special mm-hmm. as a therapist. The only thing I was doing was, was, seeing a vision like that, that them in their mind, like they, they have potential, they have, they, they have their answer within themselves, Mm -hmm. but it's about like unearthing that together. Like, let's go on this journey inside of you or inside Mm. of your relationship. Um, and, and let's like (laughs) brush off the, the dirt, you know, that's been put on you. Um, and let's like, you know, lift up those diamonds, um, in, inside. And so, um, that's the approach to take with community. Yes, right. there's been a lot of oppression. There's been a lot of trauma. There's been been a lot of programming, you know, cultural programming yeah. to, to make us not see who we are and obfuscate who we are and um, and keep us at a certain level mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, all of that. Um, and so part of it is um, let's go through a healing process together to, mm. to release a lot of those put upon um, like n- names, insults, oppressions, you know, um, false ideas. Like let's go through a healing process to, to release that. Um, and, um, and then let's go through a process where we more deeply connect with each other. Um, and so we can like really listen to each other in, in new ways and like clear ways so we can really hear each other and, and hear what's happening. And, and let's like more deeply like sit with that, like sit, sit with what we're hearing with this new mind or, you know, hopefully like a, a kind of a beginner's mind. And then from there, let's create you know, right. let's, let's innovate, let's create new, like if, if, um, through our culturally responsive community transformation work, we concentrate our services of facilitation, organizing, research, strategic planning, evaluation into a neighborhood. And, uh, and so with the residents and the people that work there, um, bringing to get, bringing them together to then go through this process. Um, mm. And so uh, right now we're at this early stage of doing this in Auburn, Gresham, a Southside community um, in Chicago. And um, this first part is just like listening, like, let's just mm. listen to your, your hopes and your dreams and your pain points and, you know, your priorities. And so, so far we've talked to a hundred people um, and our hope is to talk to 400 people and then um, kick off this innovation process where like I said before, we'll go through a, a stage of healing. We'll go through a stage of, of clearing, of connecting, um, so that we can then um, think about, like, what are those community priorities? Like, mm-hmm. if it's safety and security, if it's education, if it's um, uh, health and wellness, if it's food, if it's economy, like, whatever those priorities are, like, you know, let, let's let come together and start to innovate around that priority. Like, what, what kind of a structure can we create? What kind of culture can we create around that? That's different, right? Like that's an alternate way of doing and way of being, and then build that out from there. But what I find so fascinating about what you just said is, and I think it absolutely, it's, it, it goes back to something you said at the beginning about helping kind of people find, I don't know if you said the beauty in themselves, you said something like that. It was quite evocative. Um, but what's fascinating about what you just said is that the processes you're facilitating and the evaluation you're doing are about like scrubbing something away that keeps people from themselves Mm. and each other and not about we're going to get, and then we'll do something right about external conditions. Right. But the orientation is not toward just breaking down external conditions. Right. It's like the diamonds are inside of us. Right. And so We have to find those. And I'm not suggesting only linearity, but I just think it's such an interesting shift in orientation to be deeply committed to racial equity and to say, first, we have to dust off, you know, and find the diamonds inside ourselves and within each other, because, you know, if diamonds are the hardest substance, they can cut any, any lock, right? You know what I mean? And so it's really an interesting, I just love this orientation. It feels very psychological, right? It feels mm-hmm. like I can feel your background as a psychologist. Yes. Yeah. Um and yet a beautiful weaving of 
personal, interpersonal and structural, right? Which is often, I think, what psychology is criticized for, right? That it has no structural analysis or, you know what I mean? So it's still caring about those conditions with the very deeply held belief in people's goodness and the goodness that can come from between us. And so I'm just, I just think that's really fat. When you, when you say you want to evolve beyond the current racial equity paradigm, like that is beyond what we're talking about right now. Right, right. And I love it. I need to take you on the road with me, Tuesday. <laughs> I know, she'll just amplify all of your brilliance. She's, I'll like, be your hype, I'll be your diamonds. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's holistic, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times in, in, in general, in the field of evaluation or in the field of psychology, like we'll just look at this segment, right? And just mm-hmm. look at this angle, but then you know, we, we, we miss the other aspects of society or of living or of humanity, right? And so like, how can we put these together to get that whole picture? And then, right, okay, we got the whole picture, then we can actually transform. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to take us back to something you mentioned earlier, and it stood out for Tuesday and for me. And when you said, you know, and data works, And there's just like this brightness, this excitement. And I would just love if you could share one or two stories of moments in work with community Mm. where there was an evaluative or a data-based insight that shifted direction or made something that seemed impossible possible or provided, you know, a complete reorientation. I'm just, if if there are a few examples or one that just kind of comes to mind, it would be really lovely to hear. So our work with public allies, um, uh, so we did an evaluation with the national office. Um, and let me say, like, public allies is a nonprofit organization, and they do leadership development. Um, uh, they are um, in different cities uh, across the United States, and um, they uh, provide uh, kind of like internships for people who are interested in making a difference in in community or in the world. And so they'll provide a combination of um, training um, and actual like service learning, right? Like they're they they're they're working in the context of the nonprofit. So hopefully they can be those leaders in nonprofit or or, or in community that that are are continuing to make that change for social justice. And so um, they wanted to look at their impact on women, and so they worked with us to evaluate that, to, to look and see what has their impact on women in particular and their, their leadership development, their success, you know, um, in, in different states. And so we led a, a process of doing that that was very collaborative, not only with public allies, but also with the women who are impacted by their their program um, nationally. Like we came, they had a national convening um, uh, two times at the, through that project um, at the beginning to kick it off with a vision and at the end to like develop strategy together. It was really beautiful. Through that, one of the things that came out very strongly is this need to focus on healing. It came out through um, people's journeys and they, they didn't really have that as an explicit focus mm-hmm. before. And it came out through the evaluation um, that healing was needed um, and that it was catalytic for their leadership skills out in the world. And um, with that piece, public allies uh, be, uh, began to focus in more on that more deliberately. Um, they began to start to shape curriculum in, in different ways. So um, it, it was really impactful for them um, as as an organization. And from the work that we did with Public Allies, we also did two other evaluations with women of color. One was a Chicago Foundation for Women uh, for looking at um, community-driven philanthropy. And then another with a program called Cultivate, which was for leadership development for women of color, community organizers and advocates. We noticed that through those three evaluations, they, they crossed, right? They, they crossed themes. So there was themes that were cross-cutting um, around women of color leadership. And so now we're looking at like healing was cross-cutting, relationships, the importance of relationships in the leadership development was cross-cutting, power or the one sense of power and intersectionality. 
Um, and so we're putting that into a book we call, called <laughs> Becoming Changemakers, The Exquisite Path to Leadership and Liberation for Women of Color. Um, and I'm saying that to say that like these findings in these different evaluations, like they were influential for, for not only the people that went through their evaluations, but also the leaders that participated in the evaluation with us and you know, for that to be impactful for for those organizational partners in shaping their programming. And then now to say like, wow, we saw this in three different contexts and three different disciplines and three different disconnected projects, you know, to say like, hey, let's get this out to, to women of color in general, right. you know, so we can really be thinking about these things more intentionally and having that guide our, our leadership path. So, um, yeah, that like to, just to be able to like take the findings, not only to have those that data or those findings help to shape like next iteration of programming, but like wow, like now we get to like put it into a package that could affect people's direct lives, mm-hmm. you know, as they as they read these pages and read these stories and you know, hopefully come together with other women, you know, in their network to to support each other on their leadership journeys. I love that. And I I just appreciating mean that, you know, you're working with all of these different context communities and organizations. And then this position to be an, um, in a meta-analysis of what's working across all of them. What are the obstacles across all of them? And how can we be sharing that out more broadly, you know, of sharing that learning? Um, and, and, in, and to me, that's a real, again, like the caring about what works. It's like, what's the extra platform and um, an audience that would really benefit from this? So that just, it's really inspiring and such a particularly unique position to be in. So thank you. Uh, yeah, well, I, I owe a lot to my awesome mentor, Stafford Hood, Um, because like through his tutelage around culturally responsive evaluation, like one of the, the main things, um, was not only to like be immersed in community, um, uh, and, and to, to respect and and respond to culture, but like also the data doesn't belong to us, Mm. you know, the data belongs to the community. And this is hopefully a way to say like, Hey, this, this data belongs to you. Here you go. Like, you know, do, do what, do what you see fit with it in, in your lives or in your communities. Use the word power in talking about this book that Mm -hmm. you're writing. And, um, and, and my sense is often in like large scale change, um, power is kind of painted with a broad brush. We kind of know that power impacts, but we don't have much nuance around it or, or think about it a whole lot. And so I'm curious how you're seeing power intersect with evaluation, right? How are kind of current conversations around equity or decolonizing impacting your evaluation? So just like, just to like full on, like, let's look at power and how it's impacting what you're doing. And I imagine you come from, just to be fair, you come from a different vantage point, right? Culturally responsive evaluation. I'm assuming things about power all the time, but I guess I'm asking to make it explicit and how it might even be pushing your practice. Well, first, just want to define power because people define power in different ways. But but for us is, you know, just plainly like the, the ability to, to work, act or, or influence. And so a lot of times right. people will say that power, like there's some people that have power, other people that don't have power. We do not believe that. We believe that everybody has power. Like power is right. basically like air, <laughs> you know, like it, it's just, it just is. And it's a matter of like, do, do people recognize that they have it or not, you know? And so, so it's in, in that recognition and, and we use the evaluation process in part as a reflection, as a mayor to say like, yes, you actually have power. Like, look, Mm. (laughs) you know, like you can use your voice to influence us or or you can use your voice to then shape this, this thing that you want to change or that thing that you want to change. And um, so power is very much a part of the process, be it explicitly or implicitly um, in, in the process. And uh, it's, 
it shapes like the way that we set up an evaluation. Like even, like I said before, with a visioning session, right? Like that's, that's a power building tool. We might not always call it a power building tool, but it is right. Like it's getting people in a space where they can use their, their desires and their voice, you know, to, to shape the way other people are thinking about an issue and, and to shape like the direction of a thing, right? Like a program or an evaluation or, um, or whatever it might be. And, um, and we, we've even facilitated, brought together and facilitated community evaluation teams where they're, they're not only at the, the front end or the, just the back end, but, but they, you know, are throughout, like they're helping to, to shape the design and to, to shape the tools and sometimes even to, to collect and analyze data and, you know, get the report out. And so all of those are like opportunities to like activate power and use their existing inherent power, you know, to, to move things. Um, so power is very much a part of like culturally responsive evaluation. Um, and, um, and also this process of like healing and transformation too, right. Mm -hmm. To heal, Mm -hmm. like we need, we need to like recognize power to heal, even if it like, you know, we might feel weak, we might feel like powerless, you know, quote unquote, um, in the process of healing, because it's really hard sometimes. Um, but it, it takes a lot of power to be, to have the strength and the bravery to go inward or to go in relationship, you know, in those ways that tap into our pain and, and for us to get through it. But yeah, yeah, that, that is a big, (laughs) that's a big discussion. Um, and often like distorted, we need to have the discussion more because even in the field of evaluation, people talk about that, either they don't talk about it or they talk about it in different ways. Right. That, that like kind of obfuscates like what what power is what power could be um and uh and sometimes even like um puts people um it reiterates the status quo around power right like you know we the evaluator holds a lot of quote unquote you know influence like power like in in the process but but like there are ways that we can we can use that influence in order to say like actually we do not <laughs> like let's let's just all be in this we all mm. have this you know and in, in a way to like be able to lift up that reality I love it and I love that definition of power mm-hmm. I feel like that's so helpful so helpful Well let's ask your question Tuesday Dominica how are you navigating it all you know as a leader as a woman as a mother <laughs> As we start as we start to kind of move toward our close today, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously people have gotten a sense of kind of how special and incredible you are. But, you know, I think that it's great for people to hear what you're up to and making change in the world. And, you know, maybe they could also know that you're a mom with young kids who's like building this organization. And, and that is also what the people who listen care about. So how are you navigating it all? What is it like to be at your location and stage of life and doing this work it's it's something Mm -hmm. (laughs) something. (laughs) so like one of uh, one of our team members um uses this phrase like stumbling well (laughs) oh that's great (laughs) and I, i feel like that's what it's been like i like i just trying to stumble well but yeah it's been such a journey because it started become before had kids and then had had you know my my two kiddos you know uh through through the process and have had to morph and change in significant ways at each stage um and of of motherhood and of leadership and um so so the first that like um our first uh child our daughter our oldest daughter um, she really forced the organization to grow because like I was, you know, do, doing things with a few other people, but like, uh, you know, I really was just in the work. I wasn't right. trying to like, you know, ex- delegate or expand or, you know, not do certain things. And, you know, so like, you know, when, when we got pregnant and it's like, oh, well, I can't do everything anymore. Yeah. So yeah. You better give some things up um, and uh, and let go. And so she she really forced us to like, you know, okay, now it's now it's really time to grow the organization and to to add more team members and to train and you know to trust more, right? Mm -hmm. Like to to trust 
past. <laughs> right. And so um, it's been a journey of of letting go, of trusting, of of growing and stretching in in so many different ways of like having to to stretch as a leader um in saying okay I, I need to think about this in a different way i need to think about this as the collective not mm-hmm. me doing it or not just this project or just this work or just this path but like w- now what is the a team's role what's it how does a team play into this and how's there been a bigger team play play into this and so like each stage of growth I've had to um, growth organizational growth I've had to grow um, in my in my thinking and grow and stretch um, in my leadership um, and always 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 juggling <laughs> always juggling what like but the one thing I am proud of is that I've been able to create better boundaries because I didn't really I didn't really have like those boundaries of like home and work you know before it was just like work all the time (laughs) you know but you know now it's like you know I'm forced to have these boundaries like let me make sure that I'm making time making focused time with with uh, my kids and make sure I'm having focused time as as a leader and with my team Mm -hmm. you know so so having um more intentionality more focus um but yeah, it's it's a beautiful challenge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I worked with a I worked with a wonderful boss once, and she was just like so. She's just this epic person, and she said like her thing was like you know as a working mom you're always juggling balls. So it's just like it's just you're juggling balls, and you're gonna drop some. Just make sure it's your kids that don't drop. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Except I feel like I've dropped my kids a couple times, so uh, I guess I'm just gonna be like, just keep practicing juggling, right? Like I just, yeah, I haven't yeah. kind of figured out a way not to like have certain balls not drop, but I'm just like getting better as I go. And so it is true. Oh it's, my gosh! And you know, just yes. when you kind of get a little bit of a system, your kids they keep growing, right? Like mm-hmm. they, you know, they don't stay. And their face changes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I think it's just um. It's just lovely. And I like to talk to other working moms and just to like do a little shout out because it's so often Mm -hmm. like this kind of hidden thing that's happening, right? Like you're actively parenting every single moment that you are building this organization. Those things are happening at the same time. Um, Yes, yes, yes. Always, always 24 seven the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. As long as you're not dropping your kid, like juggling balls, the ball that doesn't drop into your kids, like that's so, that's so true. That's so true. Well, and I love the metaphor, uh, stretching it further, is that you brought other hands in to help you juggle parts. And I think that is, you know, I mean, that's an incredible transition point as a leader is to going from the kind of like the control of doing everything oneself to going, actually, (laughs) who are the other people? I can rely on. Yes. Yes. And that's just been a great journey too, because I have a great team. Like I love my team. Mm -hmm. I love my team. And, you know, just like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do this without them. Like that would be like impossible to, to do this without them. So yeah, that's, that's great. Like the stretching, stretching to have more hands, you know, in, in the mix. Um, but yeah, the the whole thing, like I was talking to another fellow evaluator who's a mom of four kids and she was saying like, I always feel guilty. If I'm, if I'm at work, I feel guilty that I'm not with my kids. If I'm mm. with my kids, I feel guilty that I'm not doing work. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like ongoing, ongoing guilt. Oh, this is no small thing. This is tough. It is no small thing. And I I like to tell other moms this just because my mom was a working mom and she was a single working mom. And uh, I feel like she could tell you every single thing she missed of mine. Right. Like, and I wasn't there when you did it. And I'm like, that is not my story of my childhood at all. It's not even close to my story Mm -hmm. of my childhood. Right. So I just kind of like always say that to moms because like, yeah, she, she could tell you, but I'm just like, no, I had an awesome mom who like wasn't in my mind, whatever, like as a kid, you just like, you make the stories that work for you. I was like, it's not boring. Like other moms, like she's out there doing stuff and she's traveling. And she's like, I just felt a lot of pride in what she was doing. Mm. And I didn't feel like, Oh, I don't have the mom who made that. I don't remember a thing she missed is what I will tell you. And that gives me hope with my own kids. Right. Like I'm like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll have different stories about this time in their life. Um, and hopefully, 
And I say, hopefully mine will be kind about me. We'll see. I don't know. You're, you know. you're getting to the point though, Tuesday, where you might start getting some of that feedback soon. I know. Do you know my kid said the other day, he's like, mama, I think you must be pretty good at your job. <laughs> it's like, thanks kid. I appreciate that. I think I am pretty good at my job. It's nice to have your 19 year old son say, I think you must be pretty good at your job. Thanks. I feel like I might. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is definitely shifting from those young, young days. Well, Dominica, our last question is we often ask guests at the end of the podcast, if there's anything that's, um, motivating you, sustaining you right now, a book, a quote, a song, something that you're kind of turning toward to kind of, kind of keep yourself going. And if you might share that with the listeners. So a few weeks ago, we had a meeting about one of our projects, um, the Community Evaluation Innovation Lab. And one of the quotes that came up in that space was by one of your previous guests, Bio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh Yeah. Yeah. It was like when times are urgent, we need to go slow or when times are urgent, let us go slow. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yes. Yes. So when I heard first heard that a few weeks ago, I was like, that is right on. That is right on. Yeah. This morning, the kids and I were like playing this little board game, like Pete the Cat board game. And uh-huh. uh, there is a little turtle character that you can you can be. Uh-huh. And I was like, let me pick the turtle so I can remind myself to go slow. Great. <laughs> great. I love it. Oh, it's so nice. Well, that that quote is going to turn into a book pretty soon. I think that's Bio's next. That's right. It is, isn't it? Book that he's writing. Yeah. So there'll be more, more inspiration. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been so fantastic. It's been so great to talk with you and just so grateful for your presence and the work you're doing in the world. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been super fun. I have to tell you one more quick thing. So like, um, I don't I didn't remember like his full name. I just mm-hmm. remember like bio, but I didn't remember his full name uh-huh. when the quote when they gave the quote like um, yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. And then I was on the, your podcast just like, let me listen to a couple episodes to see, you yeah. know, like get a feel for what's going to happen, how it's going to be. And then I just randomly like chose chosen episode and it was his and then like when he said that in the in the bio I was like wait a second that's the same guy that's the guy guy. um yeah I I think I feel like we can call that serendipity or synchronicity and uh like I feel that for sure All right, friends, thank you for another great bit of conversation. Thank you, Dr. Dominica McBride of Become. You can find Dominica at becomecenter.org. Are there other places we can find you, Dominica? Instagram, Facebook. But yeah, Become Center would be the, the way to connect with us. And look out for the book. It's coming out in June. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And congratulations. Thanks so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time.